What is going on, everybody? It is Gage and Brock here with another Tiefling Talks podcast. Uh, number four, I think. Yes, it is. Awesome. Uh, I hope everybody's had a good week. Uh, here to talk more shit. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, you know, kind of discuss some general things. Just hang out, shoot the breeze. You know, um, talk about some D and D stuff, some exciting stuff. Uh, releasing at midnight tonight. Uh, Tiny Tina's actually comes out uh, in a couple hours actually for me, or a hour, two hours, something like that. Um, yeah, hour and change. Yeah, and uh, so I'm. I'm so excited to actually play this because Big Fun Chaotic Dumb that is our group is matched with the Fun Chaotic uh, Dumb of Borderlands and D&D. Yeah, I know I've mentioned it before, not having any experience with the uh, with Borderlands, but I know you guys have gotten me into a couple of other games and I'm really excited to see how this turns out. It's always more fun with friends. I'll be honest, man. This is Borderlands is the type of game if you and your sister both like shooters, at least enough to kind of enjoy a good story of fun um chaos. I really believe that you and your sister could actually really enjoy playing this together. Yeah, some of my fondest memories of uh when my sister used to live at home was uh staying up until four, five, six in the morning to Back when uh, Family Video and Blockbuster were things, we would rent a Halo game and just spend the entire night running through it. Oh, that's oh, awesome. Those, yeah, such good times. Those are the memories. Um, you know, I had a lot of fond memories of Halo games as well growing up, and, you know, it kind of shaped a, a lot of who I am because uh, I went through I went through the phase of owning a clan, being in a clan, Um trying to go on some professional circuits of being actually decent at Halo and getting paid for it. Never got that to that point, but um, we used a, a site where we were able to actually register our team, and we didn't win anything like huge amounts of money, but like gift cards and random stuff. So it was it was fun, but it was also kind of really like emotionally draining. Yeah, I mean that's a lot more than most uh most people who play games can say. Not a lot of them can say that they've actually won something from an event. Yeah, it, it it's it's great, but at the same time, you're on every day for at least four hours playing the same maps over and over and over until you learn sight lines, till you got everything down, call outs, till your team composition is on point. And, you know, when, when one person messes up, you gotta restart all the way back from square one and dude it it, it it got heated sometimes, you know, we'd, we'd, we'd yell at each other, we'd scream at each other. And eventually I got to a point where, you know, yeah, we had won a few, um, a few games, but I got to the point where I was just like, okay, uh, for mental health reasons, I got to step away. I'm stressing myself out too much. I'm like pulling my hair out, trying to be good, trying to do this, you know, sweating through every shirt I have. And, um, you know, I got to take a step back, step away. And, um, you know, honestly, it's it's been great. I play story uh, games. I play anything that's got a real fun story to it. Yeah, I could play shooters, um, but most of the time I don't play it on like super hard difficulties. I'll play it on something relatively easy, um, and just kind of coast through it and enjoy the story. And that's where I really enjoy my games now. You know, I don't I don't like getting worked up over games. You know, I I like something fun and entertaining. 
Yeah, that's something I've heard from like interviews with uh, professional game players is uh, a lot of them just find enjoyment or like don't find enjoyment anymore in playing games like the professional scene has ruined it for them. So it's good that you found a way to, you know, revert back to being able to actually just like take the competitiveness out of it, at least to some degree and have some fun. Right. And, you know, a, a lot of um, YouTubers say the same thing, you know, YouTubers and Twitch streamers, they're like, eh, games aren't really my thing anymore because, you know, I just do it as a job. I see it as a job now. And, you know, it, there are definitely certain aspects of certain hobbies that you monetize that, yeah, can definitely feel taxing, you know, but um, I feel if you love your hobby enough and you do the things in your hobby that you want to do, not what you're conforming to do for other people. Um, then you keep your hobby pure and you still enjoy it. You know, like for me, for instance, you know, I, I'm monetized D and D, um, hosting it and being a DM for it. Um, but I still really enjoy it because it's on my terms. It's never, um, me going into something, not knowing what to expect. And then somebody telling me what to do, you know, there's no boss of me. There's no, and you know, a lot of YouTubers and Twitch streamers can say the same, but at the same time, like you really can't because at the same time you have to conform to your audience. You have to play what they want to see. You have to play the newest game, even if it's not something that you're interested in, because that's what they want to see. That's what gets you the views. That's what gets you paid, you know, um, versus when I'm doing D and D like this, I, yeah, I'll put out time zones. I bring people in. I enjoy um, bending the story to kind of fit around players, but it is my story still. Um, and there are kind of hard stops where I've definitely been like, hey, that's not going to work because of this, you know, yada, yada. But, you know, I've, I've kept the enjoyment for the hobby because it's still something that I create, I put out there, and it doesn't have to change for anybody, but people that like it can gravitate towards it and keep playing with it. Right, definitely. Because, like, you can offer these storylines and stuff, and people can build off them, but in the end, if you don't like where they're building it to, just put an X-Day on the whole thing. Right, you know, and, you know, find a good way for it to curve back around into the main path that you're trying to carve. Because um, there's nothing saying that you can't have a little story arc here or there that kind of fits in as a back narrative or side narrative. Um, especially when, you know, for me... Anyways, I just have a general narrative of the story I want to tell. The details are always filled in by the players. That, that's just kind of how I run with it because, honestly, it makes it a lot more fun for the players. And it also allows me to kind of continue putting out these uh, skeleton-type deals or these foundational ideas for new games without having to sit there and drench over every tiny detail of everything for... Um, you know, hours on end, days on end, and burning myself out. It allows me to put a, a base general foundation, and I do do a super heavy detailed kind of starting area, you know, like, this is what you'll find here, this is this, this is that, this is that. But then from there, I let you guys kind of build out, especially if it's something I just have a general structure for. Right, it's, again, it just goes back to the difference between, like, a, a module, for instance, and playing your own game, like... The people who run modules for, say, Adventures League, they can have fun, like, being the DM and still, or and stuff, but in the end, it's not their story. They still have to reference the book and, like, make sure, hey, is what I'm about to do okay? Because one wrong step with a module and you give somebody, like, a Ring of Ice Resistance in uh, the Frost Maiden campaign, uh, you kind of right. mess things up pretty bad. But you can create your own 
experience uh, and tailor it, tailor the items you give to the experience and tailor the experience to the players. Right, you know, like I could always give you guys, say, a plus one weapon right off the bat at level one, but then I can make encounters to help kind of balance that, you know, it's not uh, like a module where, you know, you hand them a plus one when it says not to or it doesn't say anything about it. And then all of a sudden they go on and they break every encounter listed up until they get to level two. Right, definitely. Um, even the way that you're uh, introducing like firearms and stuff into the current game that we're playing, like it's kind of a gradual change and you can incorporate that into the story because of a couple players like being interested in that play style. Right, you know, especially uh, this last Sunday, you know, we had those two new people join in, and one of them was like, ooh, mechanisms? I'm so down. And I'm like, ah, oh, great. Another reason for you guys to push back and go to the Dwarven Kingdom at some point and kind of slowly but gradually um, get the upgrades and stuff. Um, if it really push comes to shove and you guys don't want to make the trek back, I could always put in like a, uh, like a, a dwarf that kind of heads out and he kind of um, sets up a little mini portable stall, and from there you guys could do your exchanges there. Cause yeah, it... that could definitely be fun. I mean, we already have our uh, kind of access through the quartermaster, but yeah, having like a dedicated NPC for the the dwarven stuff would be fun as well. Right, that's something I was always looking forward to. Um, is you guys going back and doing that at some point? Because uh, you know I had quite a bit planned out, but hey, you guys don't wind up doing that. That's totally fine too. You know I've I've I plan for everything, but expect nothing. I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, um, I don't really know where that would stand with the other players because it seems like we have a a healthy mix of let's just get the story rolling and hold on a second, let's fawn over the succubi that you just provided us. Right. Yeah, and. Uh, it's kind of difficult, especially when there's differences in the group like that, because especially when we had um, the player that actually just left before we brought in the two new people, um, he didn't really care for much of the succubi part of it, which totally fine, you know, wasn't his thing, you know, and he also wanted to mention that his character really hates fiends and stuff like that because it's his favorite enemy, and, you know, it all makes sense, but... Um, it comes to a point where, okay, well, do I substitute out the succubus now with a annoying kind of uh, trainee that Gerard sticks you with, uh, sticks with you guys, and you know that's your guys's like party companion type deal. Um, it's kind of just introducing characters so there's more to do in your downtime, and because uh, that's something I've noticed is like, you know, a lot of people their downtime consists of spending three hours going shopping and then they come back and they go right back out into it there's no like interaction there's no real feel for a populated world right and now someone or now austin has someone to take out on a date right uh should should he ever want to die that is the <laughs> method uh I, I feel he would choose um but being a paladin maybe you'd turn him into an oath breaker Ooh. getting hit with the uh the oath of the horny that might be pretty fun <laughs> yeah definitely um and other news uh the first actual episode of the halo tv series came out today uh really uh midnight last night and uh i haven't watched it yet i've been holding off because i need 
I need some dedicated time to sit down and really enjoy it, really criticize it, really kind of take it all in because big Halo fan, but, um, and you know, I'm always open to the new avenues that Halo is going to take because it's got to evolve, you know, people who hold on to games and hope they'll be the same forever are looking to let that game die at that point, you know, um, you know, you, you look at games like Call of Duty, unless you're a hardcore fan base, you don't really play it anymore. Um, because there's no difference, you know, there's no, nothing new, it's just kind of rinse and repeat. Um, same thing with any shooter really is, you know, at some point you got to evolve, you got to adapt, you got to change. Um, that's just with games, entertainment in general, you know, um, because at some point you're going to hear two songs and they're going to sound exactly the same with a few different lyrics, uh, if we keep just using the same formulas. Right, and that's definitely happened before. Um, ooh. Uh, Ice Ice Baby and Under Pressure yep. is a great example. Dun, 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 um, dun, dun, dun. Yes, exactly. The same, literally the same rhythm. Yep, right off the bat. And I think one of them wound up suing the other one, didn't they, or something yes, like that? Yes, I don't remember who did it first. I believe that it was uh, Under Pressure was first, but... Uh, yeah, it, it got heated. They eventually settled, and I think uh, just royalties were given. But Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's insane. Like At some point, yes, it's obviously going to overlap, especially if you're using the same formulas. But in other ways, like, you know, don't be afraid to change things up. You know, obviously, what do I know? Because I'm, who am I? You know, what do I got to lose? But at the same time, if you stay the same forever, you're never going to adapt to the new age groups coming in. You're never going to be able to bring in newer audiences because you're only ever going to be targeting the people that already exist. And those people yeah. will never grow in number. Those people are only going to diminish in number because, mm. you know, a generation is born. And from that moment on, that generation just continuously shrinks over time. You know, right. you can bring other generations in and teach them the stuff, but sometimes it'll stick to some of them not all of them you know vice versa but you know you're you're you got to be open to new things right every decade in human history basically i mean especially prevalent since the 1900s every decade is a very distinct group of people with like distinct ideologies you can go through the decades even like 70s is disco 60s is hippies 80s is rock and roll 90s is like early pop and yep. you can very clearly tell the type of people, the culture, just by the generalizations that have stuck with us. Right, definitely so, you know, and it's it's insane to think that you could always be the same and never have to, uh, or you could always put out a product that's always going to be the same and never have to change. I mean, obviously there are some things that never change, like a toilet plunger and stuff like that. There are different variations, um, but those are kind of like, utility items not like tangible kind of oh i need this to appeal to more people items right um, it's a technology with a purpose as opposed to like a consumer good right or an entertainment uh type deal um but yeah anyway enough of that uh i want to talk about uh so we me and you recently went back and forth about the idea of kind of reviewing some of the um dungeon and dragons books and kind of going through yes. them so uh i was thinking along the lines of um 
I don't know, maybe like take uh read a book and maybe the first 30 minutes of a podcast once a month, we kind of take the first half of the podcast and kind of go over the book, the downs and ups, uh, basically anything that makes a book. Yeah, you say go over. It's gonna we're gonna read the shit out of these things, but yes, I'm totally down for that. And you know, obviously, we got to start with the core foundation of it all—the player's handbook. Oh yeah, and everything started from there. Yep, and just kind of build our way out. Um, I I'll give that a read over, and then obviously, I I believe it was was it reissued? If it wasn't, then you know, never mind. But if it was reissued, I think we should look at why it was reissued. And uh, kind of rev uh, review that stuff as well. Yes, it was. I've, it's had revisions, I know, in digital forms. But I believe paperback has also had revisions. Yeah, I, I believe they reissue, Which is so weird to me to think, you know. It's just like, okay, put out an official statement. Send out a card or whatever to everyone that's bought one or something. You know, have, them, have it be a free access thing. Do these people actually have to buy a whole brand new book to get the new changes? I would think so, right? Yeah, they do. That's insane to me. It definitely sucks. Like, um, I've heard a lot of people say, like, and this is kind of off topic, but it, it'll swing back around. Um, people like buying books and then saying, "Oh, you should get like a a D and D Beyond DLC code." Like, one, they're not related, but two, if you had like a a digital code or something, then you would have access to the new version of the book, even right? Just digital. And, you know, even that, I would say, like, offer a discount at the very least for it online, you know. And I get it. D&D Beyond isn't an uh, uh, officially part of the Wizards of the Coast kind of stuff. It is just a hosting platform for the books. And I get why they have to charge what they charge because it costs money for them to even get digital books of it. But in the same breath, you know, like, you know, why can't Wizards of the Coast and dnd beyond work something out work together you know hey yeah you know we'll cut you guys a deal on the royalties it costs you to host these books and in turn you guys give the players 10 percent, 15 percent, 20 percent discount on buying the digital book when they buy the physical or vice versa buying the digital and getting a discount for the physical yeah that definitely seems like it could be very mutually beneficial like a quite a big missed opportunity if i'm being honest right and it, it makes it tough on people like me for instance who are doing a lot of virtual games it makes it tough for me to transfer to a physical game now because unless i give each of my players a tablet with all of the information of the books and stuff on D, &D beyond and everything they use and bring in a computer screen and everything to allow everyone to have the tokens and everything on the map and everything and everything ported in um i would have to literally do all that instead of just having the books putting out some paper maps and uh giving some character sheets out yeah and man that's one of the things that i miss so much like pre uh the rona um like i was in a couple of irl campaigns and the experience is just so different like everybody's there and it's physical and you've got the the minifigures and even without it, like I've played in games where it's solely theater of mind. Like you sit around a pizza box and eat while the GM just describes things. And it, like you're all just in the moment together. Right. You and know, that's it's a feeling you don't get anymore with the uh, with purely digital. 
Right. And it, it makes it tough, too, because there's so many distractions with playing online. You know, nothing stops you from opening another tab and looking at something or window shopping, you know. Whereas when you're there, IRL, you know, it's very obvious when you're the one pulling your phone out. It's very obvious when you're the one spacing off, um, stuff like that. And a lot of times people, you know, it's sad to say it this way, but a lot of times people like don't want to be that person or are afraid to be that person. So they make sure that they're there, you know? Yeah. Cause I mean, the rest of the group will absolutely call you out on that stuff. Um, a couple of the tables I played at, we had an explicit no phones policy. If you pulled your phone out, you had disadvantage on your next roll. Didn't matter what it was. But it worked. It enforced it. The only people that were on their phones at all were the people who had their character sheets on D&D Beyond. Right. And, you know, it makes sense in that regard to, you know, have a phone, obviously, and stuff like that. But even then, I'd still have them kind of have it to where I could still kind of see it, or at least it's propped up to the point where, uh, or laid down flat enough to the point where, you know, we could tell oh, they're not scrolling through Facebook or whatever. Right. I mean, it's a shame that you have to think about that at all, but uh, when you have people in online games, when every time that their turn comes around, they're just like, uh, wait, how did things get the way they were? Like, you can clearly tell they were just fucking off. They weren't thinking about the game. And it's a shame. It robs everybody. Yeah, you know, and it, it definitely makes it tougher um, being the dm because you're trying to create this nice flow of combat and this kind of integrated movement so you know obviously if you're a new player and stuff uh i don't mind it whatsoever i have no problem stopping helping you out i don't mind pausing combat but you know if you've been playing for four or five years and you've got a really good grasp of it and all of a sudden it comes to your turn and they're like oh uh let me look at my spell list and they've got 30 spells to look through it's like hmm okay well you definitely had ample time to do this and see i don't want to be mean but at the same time i really what can i do you know like i could definitely take them aside and talk to them about it but at the end of the day it's either going to result in them kind of them sucking it up and uh conforming or them not sucking it up and leaving and either way, that doesn't make me happy as a DM. It doesn't. I don't I don't want you to have to sit here and just deal with shit. I want you to enjoy what you're doing. And I want you to enjoy dealing with that stuff, you know? Uh, so. Right. Yeah, that's like the whole reason you're there is to enjoy the game and be a part of the moment with these other people that you're sharing the table with. So why are you still there if you're on the phone and stuff? Um and if you're just because there are some people where it'll come around to their turn and they do just like not know what they want to do. Don't play a, a caster then or play like a half caster or something like a like an eldritch knight or a paladin yeah. where their abilities are a paladin actually is better. Their abilities are straightforward. You hit. OK, I want to add smite. That's how you can cast or. I want to think about a, a special smite, so I'll use branding smite so we don't lose track of them. Yeah, and, you know, I always tell people, go for martial classes. Those will always be the easiest. Keep it simple, something maybe like rogue, fighter, um, even paladin you can get away with and, and doing some spell casting uh, on the side there. But keep it, keep it simple, especially because uh, I actually got commissioned for two games, one on Monday and one on Sunday mornings where it was just a group of new people. 
And so I brought them in and, uh, you know, we were talking about their characters and what they wanted to play and everything. And I told them up front, hey, you're all new. I would not have any of you go spellcasters. I will bring an NPC spellcaster to the party that will kind of know a few spells. He'll help you guys out here and there. But keep it simple. Go martial until you guys learn the game. Once you've learned the game and the base mechanics of attacking, uh, your action, your bonus action, your reaction, and all the conditions and everything, and you guys have a firm grasp of that, then take a step up. Play half-caster, do a sorcerer, warlock, something like that. Something easy with a limited spell list, but um, it still kind of gives you stuff to play around with. Then step it up to wizard if you if that's something you really want to get to. You know, yes, it sounds like it's going to take a while, but that's part of D&D. You know, no matter what you're doing, it is going to take some time. That's why we have three-hour, four-hour, five-hour sessions, you know? Oh, absolutely. Um, because... That actually... Go ahead, sorry. Oh, uh, yeah, no, it's just, I was just going to say that it's a learn, it's a learning game. It, it's not supposed to be old school, this and that, but it is, you got math, you got reading, writing, and you've got, um, general knowledge retention. Right. Um, and actually something that might be able to help is, uh, I was just rereading Tasha's a little bit the other day and, uh, the sidekick rules are super helpful for like new players trying to learn casters. If you give them a sidekick spellcaster that they just like take turns controlling or something like that. Oh, that's, for sure. It's a super basic spellcaster that the whole party can try and use. Yeah. And they just try it out. If they don't like it, then either you control it or it gets killed. Right, definitely. And that's that's kind of how my uh, DNPC goes with uh, spellcasting in the party is they use some basic spells so that way the party sees, oh, that's what firebolt does oh that's what this does and that's kind of the whole point is you want to play the game learn the mechanics but you're also watching the more veteran or experienced players play those casters and you're seeing how they interact in the battlefield the combat tracker the the or initiative i should say and everything else you are watching their kind of uh contribution to everything and then you can see oh that actually looks really fun to play or oh that's how that works. Ooh, I don't like that they're limited to sorcery points, you know, so on and so forth. Yeah, uh, and that was uh, one of the big pulls of doing it as a sidekick, uh, as an NPC, is that you don't have to worry about, like, them outshining the actual players or, like, an experienced player who just automatically knows which spells are best. You don't have to worry about them just, like, optimizing without explanation right because it's the responsibility of everybody to help bring this character to life yeah for sure um actually speaking of optimization i actually just ran a session uh tonight before we decided to jump on and record this and i will tell you they optimized the heck out of every one of their classes um oh i gotta hear this so they went rogue took the mobile feet and that son of a gun never took a single opportunity attack he would run up hit leave run up hit leave run up hit leave he'd use his bonus action to dash and the enemies could never get to him um so that mobile feat really <laughs> sucked because he could do it to anyone even oh, yeah. it, whether he hit or not he he could just leave he's like okay well it, hit, it misses on the boss all right well i'm leaving and it's like okay and i couldn't do anything unless i had a spellcaster Yep, because it's just triggered on taking the attack action, not hitting the attack. Yep. 
Um, let's see. I had uh, a paladin. Um, I forgot what oath they took, but uh, basically they were just going through um, tanking so much damage and then boop, lay on hands and then a combination of other spells. I think they had like some sort of like a, a healing spell or something that they added in co uh, conjunction with it and it just buffed them. Uh, let's see what else do we have. Um, a totem barbarian. He yep. oh, uh, a classic. with the bear, so all damage, no matter what it was, halved. Um, Except for psychic, yeah. Yep. Uh, so that was fun. Uh, then let's see what else do we have. Uh, we had a cleric who was all about fire, uh, and I forgot what they took, but that was. That was intense because there was a lot of fire spells. They were all level four. Um, okay. Then a druid with circle of the moon destroyed yep. everything constantly. Another classic. Yep. Constantly using um, their wild shape to add additional ex uh, health and everything. Um, and the fact that they became like a insta healer for the group because they were able to cast. Uh, Healing word and uh, lay on, or not lay on hands, but uh, uh, cure wounds, and so they would uh, they'd literally run out, heal as many people as they could, um, which was usually the paladin and the barb, and then they transformed and went in and would take damage for the paladin and barb and kind of switch out with them, and it was it was a full group of six so you know i definitely expected some of it but some of them were new players but they all knew each other beforehand getting into it and they kind of commissioned me like outright for their group of six right um, so you know the veteran players were just talking to some of the new players in this and they're like oh yeah add this put this in there and do this and you know it wasn't um it wasn't like they were totally noobs or anything like that you know they knew a little bit but they definitely could comprehend and grasp their characters once they were made, and they kind of asked a few questions. They were on top of it. Um, they, it's they're a normal gaming group. I think they play uh, uh what's that game now? The uh, Lost Ark, I think, is what it's called. Um, okay. But it's the new free-to-play MMO, and they're they got a huge guild and everything, and they're all up tonight playing uh, Tiny Tina's once it launches for everyone. <laughs> Yeah, they are. They are the me when I was like 18, 17. So that that was kind of that was a fun, refreshing, like hmm, this is probably where I would have been a couple years ago. But yeah, um, they're cool people having fun. They they give each other shit, you know, after they had successfully taken care of a combat encounter, the few natural ones they rolled where they hit like their teammates their teammates came over and beat the crap out of them and stuff is is hilarious. Oh dude, that sounds awesome. Um but yeah, it was it was something else. But yeah, you know, it just they optimized the crap out of their classes and uh my encounters were tough on some of them, uh for sure, you know. Uh but for the most part they they kind of swept swept shop with those. Yeah, that's all part of it. I mean, when you bring, you said that was level four. Yeah. Yeah, bringing in, because uh, I mean that's right before barbarians get their extra attack, before paladins get their extra attack. But still, you gave them an ASI. Did you allow variant human? Yep. Okay, so they already have a feat in ASI. 
their subclass ability and i mean most of their base stuff by then yeah i mean you've got your paladin smiting you've got your hyper tank barbarian and druid like yeah that's a recipe for some fucky wucky right there yeah a successful party that didn't have any laps on characters or uh uh maximizing right yeah and that's the thing is most people are just oh min maxing is bad but i mean if it's the whole party doing it and that's just the dynamic of the game then it's all fun right yeah definitely you know um the problem only ever comes is when there's one min-maxer in the group, then it becomes a, okay, well, we got to kind of balance this out because you're stealing the spotlight a little too much because you're so efficient in combat, which, you know, isn't a bad thing, you know? If you make your fighter out to be a really good archer, you know, using the arcane stuff and everything, and they have a high dex and everything, and you're able to get away with it, you know, the fighter can make a great archer with two attacks per turn. Um uh, and so, you know, when you have a good story reason, good reason to have this kind of min-max character, you know, it's not bad. It's just you got to gauge the level your party's playing at and meet that level. Because me and you both know from experience what it's like to have a character that kind of just blows past the party. Yeah, for better or for worse... Because there's scenarios where the the party absolutely needs a character that can carry or right. something like that. Because if you get a party full of people who are new or people who just enjoy it for the roleplay mainly, they're not going to survive in combat. And that's something where an experienced player kind of, I don't want to say needs to, but really should step in and have a voice, have a character with some level of power to keep the party safe. Oh, yeah, for sure, without a doubt, you know, like, there's a moment to shine and um, for everyone, you know, but that's the thing is, everyone deserves a moment to shine. Nobody deserves to shine all the time, and nobody never deserves to shine. Yes, that's um, a very good way of putting it. Um, you know, I, I, I want to make sure that each one of my players feels connected to the world, and in order to do that, they have to have their moments. That's why I describe to some players when they do finish off an enemy what that looks like and stuff like that because it's that moment of, oh, yeah, that was kind of cool. I did do that. And, you know, that's when you hear the RP moment of, yeah, so my character turns back to the group and gives them a sly grin. And, you know, it's it's that's what brings a lot of people to the table. That's what keeps people at the table. Oh, yeah. It can even help develop characters, too, because maybe the character wasn't a cheeky bastard before they got that kill. But surprise, like, now the person's starting to flesh out their character, and it's like, you know what? Yeah, I do feel like being a little bit of a twat. Right. And it's it's just character evolution at that point. And it's giving everybody those little moments because it can be the key difference between whether they stay at the table or leave for like on the larger end of the scale or at the smaller end of the scale could be the difference between them continuing on the path with this character or choosing a different path. Yeah. It's definitely a shame to see people because like D and D was used as a, like a way to bring people out like socially. Um, I've heard stories of like, uh, 
people who are socially challenged like trying to role play through D D to bring out like a, a social side to them oh yeah therapists use it all the time to help um people with social anxiety um kind of uh branch out and kind of get over their their timidness and their their fear yeah exactly and it's it's a really wholesome thing to see um and it's a shame that a lot of people just don't seem to understand. They still think, oh, D&D, it's a kid's game or a satanic ritual. But, like, no, it can be really wholesome. Like, it can help people out through a lot of tough times. And there are so many tabletop variants. It's not just D&D. There's so yes, there are some violent ones. Like, you got Warhammer and uh, some other crazy ones. But then you've got super cool ones like Harry Potter and other types of tabletops that... You know, D and D is is just a base. You know, like you've got all these other tabletops around, but I'd say D and D is obviously like the b big one, the big kind of overshadowing dad that stands out. You know, but there are other tabletops to play. You know, that's not just D and D. I just started with D and D Fifth Edition. That's where I I well not started, but that's that's where I'm at now. And I would love to get into other tabletops. You know, uh, I got asked if i'd be able to commission a uh one shot for a harry potter game uh in november and uh you know we're still discussing it but yeah i'm looking at reading up on the system and everything you know um i'm looking into the borderlands uh tabletop uh i forgot what it was called but uh, you know i'm i'm looking into a bunch of stuff because i don't want to just stop here you know like uh, there's a star wars one i love star wars and i would love love to play a star wars game or uh dm a star wars game that'd be so cool oh yeah um me and one of my other players were actually looking at some of the rules for star wars and everything and there's actually a website you can go to where you can create a character and everything and we were going through that and i was like dude this this is a blast yeah, and that's a really good gauge for uh like when you're starting out and trying to feel out a uh a new system is just go through character creation and if by the end of character creation you're feeling like invested like you really want to play this character, the system might be for you and it's worth at least a session of trying. Right. The way I look at it is if at the end of character cre uh, creation you have more questions than answers than when you started, then you want to play because otherwise you wouldn't have those questions to begin with. You wouldn't have that interest invested. Yeah, that's true. You wouldn't have any uh, like level of curiosity towards it if there wasn't something drawing you there. Right. And, you know, so even even if character creation is totally confusing, but you want to know why and you want to know this and that, that system might be for you. Look into it. You know, that's that's something you do the digging on, you know, and. Yes, I'm not going to say that in order to start playing a tabletop, you need to know every rule backward, forward, upward, down, left, right. Um, but I will say, you know, get a general sense of it. You know, even if it makes no sense, give a general read and it still makes no sense. Then jump into a game. At least you have read through it. And when the DM talks to you about things, you know, obviously you'll be like, oh, yeah, I do remember reading that. OK, cool. And you start to create these connections in your mind. Um, you know, and it, it becomes a lot bigger in that uh, regard in terms of kind of getting to know the game. And that's something that you should also preface with any DM that you kind of uh, choose to join their table. Be like, hey, 
completely new. I'm going to be learning everything. I did give, you know, X, Y, and Z a read over, but it still makes no sense to me. And, you know, in my case, at least, I will actually put a time, uh, put aside time at no cost to the player or anything like that to sit down and go over stuff. I will walk them through the character sheet, walk them through what each thing means, kind of how certain things work, and then I'll walk them through the mechanics of the tools I use. Because I don't feel like people learning stuff should, I should charge them for that, or they should have to pay for the knowledge that's open to anybody to learn. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, that's... And that's something that not a lot of DMs offer, which is really nice of you to uh, to give, is basically what is, in essence, a session, an entire session zero. Right. Um, yeah, because I, I don't know. I Everybody says that their session zeros are usually just talking, creating characters, going over rules, and then setting times. And I'm like, dude, my session zeros are making sure all the equipment's working right, and then we play for, like, half that time you know at the very least if not more you know we, we spend an hour going over everyone's characters making sure everything's right making sure everybody knows base mechanics and everything and everybody's set and then after that you know we go into game and that's session zero session zero we are going to play you know we are not going to sit there and do nothing for session zero i just i refuse to think that people are going to charge for session zero and not play a game like that boggles my mind that that's something that people would do you know like i'm not saying it's bad you know everybody's got their own method of doing things for sure but in my mind i can't justify myself charging a full price game for not a full session of play right um and before you even know that it's something you want to do like really just paying for what in essence is a free trial like in software terms like right it, it it's it'd be like buying a full movie ticket and going and watching the last half of the movie it's insane you wouldn't do that or buying a video game and only getting the last half of the video game and it's like you wouldn't do that you don't you you don't do this at any other point in society so why am i gonna make you pay full price to get the last half of it be actual content sure but, you know, like, I guess everybody has their different styles. You know, I'm sorry for speaking out against, you know, other people and how they do their stuff. I haven't witnessed anyone doing that. You know, everybody could, you know, offer discounts or whatever. But, you know, there's already such a big stigma against people charging for D&D uh, to host D&D games. So I, I just don't want to add to that. If anything, I want to make it seem like, hey, you know, it's not a bad thing. You know, it's not. It's not meant here to hinder D&D at all. It's just, you know, some of us would enjoy the game so much that we would love to make a career out of it. We'd love to kind of um, be in that kind of percentage of people that make a living off of hosting games for other people and doing stuff like that because I do. I love Dungeons & Dragons to the moon and back. Do I know everything about it? Absolutely not. I probably, if I put my knowledge on a scale for D&D... I know probably about a third of the full content, at least memorized. Um, there are books that I have not read yet. There are books I don't even own yet. Um, there's just mechanics that sometimes never get used, and I never see the time or see the they never see the daylight. 
um, feats that I have never bothered to read up on until they're used by one of my players because what's the chances that I'm going to run into that feat? You know, especially if I'm hosting the game, really. Like, I control everything already, so nothing, no new information is going to come into this game that I'm not already trying to learn about. You know, when you guys bring your characters in, um, instantly I'm going over your characters, seeing what they know, seeing what they have, and then I'm doing research on that stuff. I'm not bothering wasting my time and brain power learning other things. I'm learning your guys' characters. Get a sense for how you guys play. Learn that. I get a sense for kind of the general direction the group wants to head. I learn everything that's involved with that, and I kind of just... I base my knowledge off of you guys. Um, and that's that's how I always want it to be. Because at the end of the day, the more I kind of focus on you guys, the more it feels like I'm doing this to have you guys have a world that you guys can just sandbox in. Yeah, and it's... I know we talked about this before, but it goes back to just having a place in the world instead of just being... Uh like being just a drop in the bucket, like actually having a character that makes an impact, having weight to your decisions. Right. And trying to find a good way to implement that, for instance, you know, most games, it's always the hero tactic. You know, you're always becoming the hero. So yeah, your name gets known throughout the world, but what really changes in the world? What real differences happen? You know, like, yeah, you become a hero, but does that turn this village into a city? Does that do this to that? I mean, what impact does that have on the world besides people know your name? Right, and, that's true. And that's why I like tailoring these experiences to my players, because, for instance, the Silver Dawn, if you guys were to go back at any point and check on any of the other villages, you know, you guys have obviously heard reports that, you know, Obviously, Soul Village is back up on its feet and, you know, they're training people to kind of join the Silver Dawn and so on and so forth. But you guys go back, you guys find nice wooden houses with thatch roofing and fireplaces where you see children running around, you know, and you, you guys see the difference you guys have made by liberating this town. And it's not just, oh, liberate, move to the next, liberate, move. I have real scenarios planned out for you guys if you guys ever went back to visit of, you know you getting praise and thanks and you know getting a dedicated this or that and everything else oh absolutely because i mean imagine if you got like famous in real life and went back to somewhere where people knew you you would 100 percent be treated differently that's not even a question right and you know yes some of that comes with being a hero all of a sudden you go back to your hometown and all of a sudden everybody knows who you are everybody wants to be your friend but does your hometown change? Not really. Uh, they put up a statue of you or a plaque? Sure. But I want it to be bigger than that. I want you guys to drop uh, a, a single droplet of blood on a blade of grass and then come back three weeks later to a tree growing here or something, you know, a blood tree or something crazy. You know, I want every impression you guys make to have some kind of effect. And, you know, I really learned this in running my first Sunday session with you, um, Josh and Tori and, and Vern, because when I did the whole time thing and kind of space time, continuum, distortion, everything, 
I had to look at every action you guys have ever taken and make sure to, okay, this will lead to this, this will sprout off to this, this will do this, this will do this. So it gave me a real good sense of, okay, what is the player doing now? Okay. And, and in the end, we totally fucking squandered the opportunity. We had all these great plans. Oh, yeah. And we did nothing with them. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it, was, it was fun either way. You know, whatever outcome that you guys chose, it was set in stone from your first actions. There was It was a snowball effect, you know, and ultimately you guys came out to a few bad endings, but came out to the final conclusion being that the world was open for a part two. Oh, yeah. Um, as much as as much fun as destroying the world is, it's not as much fun as continuing to play. Right, and then you know, kind of, the best thing is that you know, if I ever get around to finding time on Sundays, which are now booked, um, hosting this, uh, you guys will go through as other characters, and you will see the imprints that your previous characters had left on this world. You will see and meet the people. You will find all these things and that's what i love about homebrew is that you can't do that in a module you don't get that in a module you run a module twice you're just playing the same thing with different people you run a homebrew a second time in the future of a continuation with new people you see it um you know you're you guys the uh the spirits of vengeance kind of camp is still there you guys will see the kind of remnants of that um, you know, uh, you guys kind of burning down, uh, Nesrin's village. You guys will see the remnants of that. You guys, like, there's, there are things there, you know, that kind of, uh, you know, just trinkle over into session or campaign two, you know, and, you know, I assume the same thing's going to happen with Chris, uh, uh, Chris's campaign, you know, the railgun incident was a big change in the world. I doubt that's going to go away by the next campaign. Um, you know, and it, it's that's my love for homebrew, you know, and my love for kind of the actions my players take because every little bit of it, especially since I did the whole space-time continuum thing, I see it. I see what kind of trickle effect it has. I see what right. you guys do. You guys decide not to save the little village girl right outside the village from goblins. Okay. That leads to X, Y, and Z. Before you know it, now the players are facing an inquisition because you guys have decided, uh, you know, a farmer saw you uh, out of the corner of his eye and uh, he, he obviously couldn't do anything to help because, you know, what's, what's a lonely farmer going to do against ban or uh, goblins? But, you know, he rode for help, and uh, when he came back, the girl was already dead, yada, yada, yada. And it leads on to a full-on inquisition and questioning of your guys' morals and ethics. And then, you know, the law is looking at you guys now. And now, you know, it just, everything leads into something. Um, for instance, like, the biggest one was that uh, some of you guys were wanted in um the kingdom of the elves, humans, and tieflings in the Sunday campaign. And uh, some of you, I should say, were wanted. Um, some of you were thought dead, you know, but, you know, it all came full circle when you guys fully got there, met the king and everything. 
and all that jazz. Oh, man. Yeah, that game just, that was a total, like, folding in on itself 5D chess game, trying to remember everything that, like, went between different timelines, especially at the end. It got really wild, but, man, even throughout just, like, playing the main game, it was hard to keep up at times, but that was what made it so, so much fun, so rewarding. Yeah, you know, I I remember uh, Tori or Nesterin kind of drawing out this kind of whole plot diagram they had, and I'm like, oh, that's a good beginner sketch of what I've got over here. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I have this big kind of, like, circle of just names, and then I've got six lines coming off of each name and everything else, and, you know, each line's a different color, so that way I can see it over the other lines. Yeah, like some horrible thought map. That just goes like ten layers deep. Yeah, and it's it's insane. It, I guess that's it. It it's insane. That's all there is to it. It was insane idea of me to do, and did I pull it off? Probably not. Did it work? Yes, barely. And uh, in the end, that's all that matters. Is you had fun, we had fun. That's that's what D and D's for. And you know. Obviously, from a DM standpoint, there are moments in that campaign I'll never forget because obviously I was running it. But, you know, at the same time, it was moments where, you know, you guys were like, oh, my God, you know, and that's that's what got me to like, ah, OK, key memory. <laughs> ah, not nice. <laughs> no, yours was when uh, I introduced the tall lady. Yeah, no, that's very real. It seems like basically every group that we've been a part of, somebody's reacted to the uh, the insert tall lady equivalent. Oh yeah, you know, I, that's that's one of the things about being a DM is you can't be afraid of, especially if you're um, trying to uh, find a way to. Oh, here we go. Uh, especially if you're trying to be a DM that's going professional. You can't be scared of any type of encounter. You've got to be able to fully just dive right in and full force go for it, you know? Like, out of game, yeah. It's totally weird that I use a higher-pitched voice to flirt with another dude on the other side of the mic 500 miles away, you know? Especially for my kind of, or for my stature of, you know, straight single male. You know, it's weird for outside of this context, but in D&D, you've got to very much be able to just let go of all of that you've got to kind of get rid of all these barriers and everything and you know obviously some dms you you don't have to do it that's how you want to play your game but if you really want to be good you really want to hone in on these good moments you know and really kind of give it your all then that's something you know it, it it's really weird for me but i kind of just i just think of it like okay I am this character. I am this character. I am this character. And, you know, when I played the succubus, you know, it was, oh, you notice she's stroking her finger down your sidearm. And she kind of gives you a sly little wink to the side and everything. And she says, you know, this and that. You know, I fully embrace the character because it sells it. And that's that's what you have to do as a DM is you have to sell your characters. You can't sit there and be like, okay, this person does this. And another person comes in and they do this. You know, you got to describe them. 
You got to give them personality. You got to give them thought. You got to give them backstory. That right, make them feel like real people. Right, and that's that's what gives D and D its charm is the DM being able to fully utilize talking about these uh, characters, bringing them in, giving you a populated world. You know, um, obviously you don't have to have thousands upon thousands. Um, I do, but that's because I'm insane. Um, yeah, no argument there. <laughs> uh, but, you know, have four or five key, real key uh, people that you want to flush out for and put them at different spots in the game. You know, have one be a shopkeeper that the group particularly likes. So they keep coming back to as in a general merchant um, or for my instance on Sundays, it was uh, a leather worker, uh, Vegmir. Yeah, Vegmir. Yeah. Yeah. How's he doing? Uh, he actually survived the apocalypse. No surprise, Vigmir was always a boss. Yeah, he uh, put on his enchanted. Uh, he jumped. Actually, he jumped into a bag of holding. <laughs> yeah. Oh, classic. Yeah, um, but you know, um, and it's just because those are the characters your your players will always remember. So that's something you always want to bring back for them. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, even to this day, I remember the the fear of God in Nesrin after Vigmir got mad when she when she ripped the sleeping bag. Oh yeah, you know, uh, I I played it off where you know he spent a good amount of time and effort putting into these items for you guys, and they were made with rare materials that you can't get anymore because they were part of extinct animals that you guys found in a dungeon, and Nesrin just decides to I'm gonna rip a hole in it. So yes, yeah. he balled his eyes out he cried at the sight of it it's like tearing oh, yeah. a part of his soul and you know after we went through that kind of encounter Nestor's like oh god i can't i can't do this or i can't do that you know oh don't touch this Vig vigmir made this for me if you break it I, i'll never forgive you because he'll never forgive me <laughs> yeah and it's man there's just something that's great about these personal small games the games of seven or eight they're definitely fun don't get me wrong especially when you get the right group of people but man a game of like three or four people that's where it's at yeah it's that seems to be the generalized sweet spot you know obviously there are dms that handle bigger groups better um i find that i do really well with three to four players once we get around six it does get a little tough for me to keep everything flowing nicely especially when they're all new because you know, I want combat to be fluent, and especially you got six people each taking a, a, a 10 second turn, it, it adds up real quick, real fast. So, um, you know, you got to find a good balance. Um, for me, it's just doing what I can to make it the most interesting and bring everybody not only together, but make them feel included. Right. No, that definitely makes sense. All right, well, that looks like about all the time we have for this episode of Tiefling Talks. Do you have anything you want to plug, Brock? Yeah, absolutely. Remember the YouTube channel. Uh, remember Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Mute or iTunes, just anywhere. And come on, give us a follow. We try and bring you this uh, disaster every week. We do our best, at least. Listen. 
If it makes it better, I'll put a bow on the disaster every week. All right, guys, come on, help us out here. Help us out. <laughs> you know, we're not we're not trying to get famous or anything like that, but you know, it'd be cool to uh, see some comments, talk to some people, and uh, get a reply. But either way, no, we still enjoy. We still enjoy chatting with each other, so we'll probably do this regardless. Yeah, it's been a pleasure this evening, and we'll see you guys next week. Yep, see you then.